They give a lot of speeches, do a lot of interviews, so politicians are bound to make mistakes now and again. President Bush was known for Bushisms. Our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. Republican presidential candidate Rick Perry had this beauty in 2011. It's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, uh, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. Uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see. I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> President Barack Obama accidentally kept speaking once when God Save the Queen was playing. To Her Majesty the Queen, the vitality of the special relationship between our peoples. President Joe Biden is known for his gaffes, including asking a paraplegic to stand up. I want to be clear, I'm not going nuts. The President has a big stick. We choose truth over facts. And President Donald Trump. How do we select just one? I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. Although she does have a very nice figure. I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. You know? <laughs> oh, it's so weird. Today on Stories and Strategies, how do we coach politicians to stay on message, on topic, and to be genuine. Switch it up now. My name is Doug Downs. Quick thank you off the top to Ernesto Cuberos, who left a nice note for us on Spotify for the episode we did about the four traits of inspiring thought leaders. He says, really insightful yet inspiring information. Thank you for that, Ernesto. My guest this week is Kristen Copeland of KC and Company Communications, joining today from Washington, D.C. Hello, Kristen. Hello, Doug. How are you today? I'm good. How are things in D.C.? Things in D.C. are great. Uh, we're all gearing up for friends, uh, for Thanksgiving, rather. Um, and so we're, we're just looking forward to the holiday season. Absolutely. Kristen, you launched your consultancy almost a decade ago, working quite a bit with state and federal politicians, such as Congresswoman Yvette D. Clark and former Assemblyman Michael Blake. You've also worked with the Congressional Black Congress Foundation and the National Cherry Blossom Festival, and you serve on the board of Pine Forge Academy, one of the four remaining African-American boarding schools in the United States. So, Kristen, when I think about communication support for politicians. The quick things that that come to mind are writing speeches, making sure they don't say something wrong, ethical pitfalls, um, leaks of classified information. I, I know for you, keeping the politician on message is the big point for you. Absolutely. Yeah. No, because all of, with all of these things that we're talking about, whether it is you know, through a media interview or an email or a speech or whatever the case may be, it's really crucial and important to understand what the key messaging and talking points 
will look like um, prior to getting your candidate um, on one of those platforms. And so it's definitely something that's very important. And we we, we stick to, uh, we try to, we tend to stick to in terms of our output when it comes to media relations and whatnot. I know when I work with politicians, media training or presentation coaching, it's not that they disagree with the key messages. They're all good or how important they are, but they, they talk a lot. And so they tend to just spin a yarn and they wander down a path and they go so far down that path that everybody's forgotten what the key message was. Do you, do you find the same thing? It's about yanking them back in their lane. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, look, when it comes to politicians, a lot of times what they have to draw on are their stories. And so what we yes. do when we work with politicians is we don't let, we don't shy away from it. Um, at the beginning of any kind of engagement, we talk to the the politician or the aspiring politician about different stories that have influenced and impacted the work that they're doing. Um, and then we pull out maybe two key stories, two to three key stories that they can use in different interviews that will help to highlight a point. So we find that that's a good way to not only let the our client, you know, get out what they want to, um, but then also to really nail the point home with a real life example. Yeah. And communication with a purpose. It's it's intended to go somewhere. So messaging. Exactly. Politicians need exposure, particularly to their supporters and their potential supporters. So obviously your work in determining the audiences and the best channels that you're going to use to reach those best audiences is really critical here. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's very critical to make sure that when you're reaching out with these messaging, you can do all of the messaging work in the world. But if you don't understand your audience, you don't understand where your audience is, then your your efforts are going to fall short time and time again. And so what we do is just based off of our our own knowledge, we know, okay, if we're looking at millennials, you know, generally speaking, they're going to have a Twitter uh, or I'm sorry, an X. Uh, it's still a whole new world here. Um, but, you know, we, we think about, you know, what does, what do they, what, where would they want to hear the, these different messages and what are the best ways to communicate them? Um, so definitely uh, understanding where your, where your constituents in our, in our case with the politicians or voters are is really crucial in order to make sure that your messaging actually gets to its intended audience. And that's a good point about social media, because it's it's not just giving the best interview on TV or radio or or speaking in a way that a newspaper reporter finds a, a clip that clicks. These days, it's about their, their interac- interaction on social media. The most successful social media politicians that I can think of top of my head, uh, Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, <laughs> Barack Obama, Alexandria mm-hmm. Ocasio-Cortez, uh, yep. In the UK, Boris Johnson. In India, Narendra Modi. In Indonesia, Joko Widodo. And Queen Rania of Jordan, all fantastic on social media, all have huge followings and use those channels. How do you coach politicians to use digital media? And then how do you control them once they're on it? Oh, yeah, that's right. And you can't control Donald Trump. I, Let's just say that. I don't think anyone can control Donald <laughs> Trump. That's a, that's a fact. No, you know, when it comes to digital media, um, while we don't, we manage PR mainly, but my background is actually really a little more diverse in that I worked with a number of nonprofits and advocacy groups and the like with their social media strategies. And so 
um, as I'm answering this question, this is where I'm drawing the answers from. Um, you know, it's number one, just to inform, I don't, I think at this point, people know that social media works, you know, when it comes to getting your message out there, when it comes to engaging with people in real time, you can't think of an, a better or more cost effective way to do so than social media. Um, what I do find is that sometimes politicians are interested in getting into social media, but they're just too busy to manage it. So that's where we come in um, as as consultants um, to to manage that process or find someone who can. Um, but you know, we also have had uh, different clients, politicians that have liked to use their own social media and would like to chime in during those kind of high stake. Uh, you know, high visibility conversations that are happening. And it's just really important, again, to know, hey, whenever stories stories come up about, let's say, housing and, and you know, how New York housing, you know, NYCHA and housing system needs to be, you know, overhauled, you know, how do we talk about that? How do we engage with our stakeholders? How do we get more conversations on social media to inform what we're doing and what we're talking about? Um so it's just a matter of, you know, I, I like to tell them, dip your toe in, have the conversations um, after you do a little legwork um, and then, you know, go from there. But I think once if you already know what your message is or at very least what elements will go into your messaging before you get into some of those hotbed issues on Twitter, you'll end up being in a much better place. Are some better at it when it comes to social media interaction than others? And are there some who willingly break the so-called rules and actually that's their strong point? You know, again, Donald Trump comes to mind. I literally was going to just mention, mention uh, Donald Trump. I, I, you know, for better or worse, he has definitely been able to define and stay on his message um, over, you know, since he was initially elected years ago. And I and I think we've seen how that's played out in his favor. You know, his his supporters understand exactly what he's standing for, where he's going, which judge he's fighting that day. Um, yeah. And and they're able to, you know, you know, support him in, in the various ways that he needs to get supported in this case, dollars for his campaign donation coffers. Um, so I, I definitely think that a dad for better or worse, he does it well. But if you're looking at someone who is more so fighting on the on the right side of history as I would I would think and like to say um AOC uh Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez is absolutely great um what I really like about um the work that she does is that she does a lot of real-time she uses the real-time um platform the platform in real time if you will Mm -hmm. and so when it comes to Facebook lives or Instagram lives or doing different things on TikTok She's really plugged into not only where her audience is and what messages she needs to to uh, stick to, but also what platforms and vehicles she can use to best uplift that message as well. And so you'll see that sometimes it's not just her. She'll bring on another congressperson or she'll bring someone on from a nonprofit group. Um, you know what I mean? And so she's really able to uh, get her message out there because she thinks about all of the different ways to not only refine her message, but to tailor it to the people that she's she's getting in front of. I know the live streams, the algorithms in the social media channels just love the live stream. You're, you're 
almost guaranteed to pop up. Is live stream always a good idea? Or are there some politicians you work with that uh, maybe live stream isn't the best way to go? I I would say that, you know, there's a, there's a way to do it like AOC, you know, where you're doing it c- pretty consistently. And then I think there are also one-off opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I would say that all politicians, if possible, should do, should be able to do, unless they're in, in the middle of a, embroiled in a scandal, doing a direct-to-face uh, camera interview or Q&A session with your constituents is a good choice, even if you only do it maybe like once a quarter. Um, so I think, you know, in this post-COVID world, we've really seen how some of those different platforms can really be used to make conversations happen more more instantaneously, um, even more so than they have in previous years. Um, and so I would say not every politician should do what ALC is doing. I think, you know, they could find that they, you know, maybe aren't ready to deal with the trolls or if they aren't really ready to kind of be in the hot seat with answering those questions or some of the tougher questions that might come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important for people to do what works for them. But I always think it, an opportunity to talk to the voters is one worth taking. Okay. And at some point, there's just, there's going to be a crisis. It may or may not be the politician's own doing. It could be party related. Um, it could be the economy. It could be something else. Um, how uh, responding to a crisis is one thing. I want to just skip past that. It want to ask you about building reputation in the so-called reputational bank, because part of your ability to respond to a crisis is all the investment in your reputation that you've made beforehand. How, what kind of planning does that take? Yeah, no. So it's it's a it's a matter of cultivating good. I like to say cultivating goodwill. Um, so before a crisis comes up, whether it's a crisis specific to you or something that inadvertently is going to blow back on you, making sure that you've done the things on the back end. And this is going to look different from other, for every client. Um, but just thinking about politicians, it looks like making sure that you, beyond having just a photo op at a local food bank uh, situation, you're talking to the constituents. Maybe you're talking to a reporter and get a story out about it. So that message is out there that, hey, you know, you're interested, you're in the community, you're you're involved and you know what the people are, are talking about because you're amongst them. Um, I think it looks like, you know, if you, if you know uh, something big is coming up that is going to, again, negatively blow back on you or others, um, we actually, not to uh, so we switch out here, but I don't know if you heard that Sean did uh, Puppy Cove's P. Diddy mm-hmm. uh, recently had a lawsuit brought against him by his ex-girlfriend um, in which he alleged that he abused her and, and hurt her in a number of different ways. But what we, what we saw as PR professionals before this news broke, because obviously he's high-powered billionaire hip-hop star, he has the resources to know that these stories are coming up. Um, and what we saw that was that over the course of the last couple of months, he gave back his former artists back their masters. And then he gave Howard University of HBC here in, in Washington, D.C. He gave him a check for a million dollars. And all of this stuff started happening right well, maybe the mo- couple of months before this dropped about this news. And so while that's not a, a good, well, that's a good example of, of ways to kind of get in front of it. I'm hoping that no, none of our listeners who are listening to this advice are like, oh, I also have a similar crisis. But 
that is a way and a strategy that we use PR people to, again, get ahead of the story and cultivate a, a good story bank of things around the positive aspects of our clients. Goodies. Yeah. So, and last question, if you're working with a politician and you suddenly find that there's something, maybe it's in their platform, but maybe it's something about them. Maybe it was a response they had to something, but you find yourself on the ethical divide. It's not just they should have gone left and they went right, or they should have gone orange and they went blue. Something touches on an ethical standard. It seems to me too simple to say, that's it. I quit because ethically we don't match. I'd love for that to be the answer. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you and your firm, you have employees, you have contractors, you have subcontractors, you have, you might have a mortgage, you might have food that you need to put on the table. There's a lot of things that are in there. What do you suggest people do working with politicians and find themselves on that ethical divide? That's a really good question. And, and luckily one that I haven't had to really face, um, I, I think yeah. being proactive is the key here. So if you're working with a politician that often makes ethically questionable choices, you know, you kind of knew going in that this might be a thing. Um, I think that there is a way to, you know, as communications professionals specifically to influence the the thoughts, the thinking process of of various politicians as they're thinking through how to respond to some ethical issues. I'm thinking off the top of my head, the abortion crisis that we have here in the States. And so, um, so personally, I, if it, if it was something that was just against my, my morals a hundred percent, such as, you know, denying people access to healthcare, which is abortion. Um, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too, to, to say no and, and see the door. I th- but I think it's going to be different for everyone. I think more importantly, it's under- it's good to have an internal ethos or board of, of standards, if you will, that you map things up against or uh, push things up against to see whether or not it's something that you want to move forward in. Um, so I, I hope I never have to deal with that in the in a situation. But in this contentious political landscape, it's definitely not something that's unheard of. I do have one more question. Years ago, it used to be when a politician entered a, an event, they would hold up the baby and kiss the baby. That was the famous thing about kiss. The, I don't know if that goes over so well in a, a modestly post-COVID world. Yeah. yeah, or whether it's post or just sort of a different chapter of COVID, yeah. I don't know. Um, about 20 some odd years ago, I noticed... It was right around the Clinton-Al Gore kind of time frame. They would enter into the big crowded room. They'd start pointing up at people, pointing, I see you. Yeah, I see that. You know, it was, it was the point thing <laughs> that they did to acknowledge people. What is the thing that you coach politicians to do now when they're entering into that crowded room or walking up on that stage? What is the thing they're supposed to do so that they sort of take control of the moment and exude their best selves? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, you know, the pointing, the pointing definitely works. I see you. Thanks for coming. Um, it makes people just, you know, feel special. Um, there are a number of different ways to do it. I, I like to also say when politicians are, you know, doing their speeches, uh, if they're gesturing or looking at somebody or connecting with someone in the audience, you know, that's also a good way 
to, you know, just be like, I see you. Because again, with everything you're saying, whether it's the kissing of the babies or the pointing of the fingers, you're saying, hey, I see you. I'm here with you. I'm present. Let's let's go do this. And so um, there are, depending on the, on the politician and their own personal style, there will be a number of different ways. You know, we do have some, every politician isn't out, as outgoing as you would think. Um, and so sometimes, you know, they find ways to connect, you know, a little better on one-on-one, but there are definitely a ton of different ways to, to make sure that people understand that you're not only walking in the room to, to, you know, talk about something, but you're also there to connect with the people there. Yeah. Here, here's what I've heard or so-and-so just told me earlier today. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thanks for this, Kristen. I appreciate your time today. Awesome. No, thank you so much, Doug. I've had a good time. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Kristen Copeland, we've got her contact info and other contact information in the show notes. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. Please do leave a rating. Five stars if you could. If you like this episode, could you also do us a favor? Share it with one friend. Thanks for listening.